welcome back one piss mom um thank you for the support uh, i missed you guys i'm glad to be back sorry this took so long once again life got in the way i hope to be able to release um, an episode a week um and that's it so let's jump right in because episode six is going to be full 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 it's going to be a long one this episode six is about trayvon martin um and i know that we all have heard about this story um and i think that a lot of the story was surrounded by george zimmerman and who he was and what he did and so i'm gonna focus a little bit more just on trayvon as a person and you know the things that he went through as a normal teenager um and how he navigated through life and how he came to meet with George Zimmerman. Now, as always, and I'll mention this several times, this is just one piss the mom's opinion. Um, and everybody has their own. And so, um, my thoughts are, are, and, and my, my expressions are how I felt, especially reading about it. I think seeing it on the news and kind of hearing the bits and pieces made me feel a certain way. But after I dug in and did some, some research, um, I don't think it necessarily changed my mind, but it definitely had me thinking in different ways. Um, we're going to take a sh- quick break um, and hear a word from our week- this week's sponsor, and then we'll be back with our episode six of Trayvon Martin. So welcome back. Um, episode six, of course, we said Trayvon Martin. Um, so I'm just going to tell you a little bit of just about Trayvon and his family. Um, Trayvon Martin was born February 5th, 1995. Um, he was living in Miami Gardens, Florida. Uh, his mother was Sabrina and dad was Tracy. While they, they divorced in 1999, um, they were still doing really good for themselves. So mom was a coordinator uh, for the housing commission and dad was a truck driver. So even though separated, they were still wor- a working class family and doing really good for themselves. Trayvon also had a brother... Um, on his mother's side, an older brother who was attending college. So everybody was doing good. Everybody was doing really good, and they were living, you know, that middle-class life and doing well for themselves. Um, it was said that at nine years old, Trayvon, he did save his dad from a, a, an apartment fire. He pulled him out by his legs, and, you know, that's huge. For a nine-year-old to kind of run towards the fire to help save a parent, that's huge, instead of running away crying. So his dad said that showed him you know, a lot of bravery and a lot of heart. Um, that heart spilled right into um, high school where he, or even as a young as a young kid, he was strong. He was, um, he had dreams of becoming a professional football player. He was a part of like a junior league football team where um, they said that he was one of the best ones on the team. Uh, and he loved football. He wanted to become a football player. Um, and that was up until he found his love for airplanes. Um, he loved aviation. He loved everything about how they how they um, operated. And he even went to a, a seven-week program, kind of like a camp. It was called Experience Avi- Aviation. This program was put on by an award-winning aviator, Barrington Irving. Um Irving said that uh, Trayvon was just a, a very polite kid, a very polite kid, and he was happy to have him in his program. Um, Mom said that she attended all of his football games throughout the years, and as mothers do, she took very good care of him when he was sick. So she was a doting mother. She loved her son. Um, 
And I hope that was never questioned within the trial that this mother, you know, she pushed for her, she pushed her son and pushed for her son and she loved him dearly. And she knew that no one had the right to take his life based on suspicion. We'll get into it. I'm sorry, I'm jumping ahead. Um, she described Trayvon as a loving and kind kid. So he was just quiet, loving now. <laughs> I have a, a teenager as well, so I know that they're they're quiet and kind in front of you. And when they get around their friends, they 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 find their voice. So I can I can understand that. Um, but he was respectful. So no adult that ever came across him ever said that he was disrespectful or you know they heard anything out of the ordinary with him. So I believe that everybody's friends can tell you a different story about a person versus the adults in their lives. Kids get comfortable around their friends. You know, they talk different around their friends. That's normal. I think that's normal. <laughs> um, you would hope that your child would have enough respect that how he, how, how comfortable he is and how he d- interacts with his friends, he knows that, okay, no, this is not going to be okay with my mother or my parents or my teachers. So I think that that also shows that he was just a normal kid. Um, his mother said that he was not the thug that the media uh, tried to portray him as. And I get that. I get that. I think they kind of took the things that he, like his comfort with his friends and on social media around his friends and kind of turned that into who he was. And I think that that's unfair when you're dealing with a teenager. I think that, in my opinion, I think social media should be banned for anyone under 18, possibly anyone under 21. Because you put so many things out there, and that's not necessarily who you are. You get comfortable, you say things, and once they're out there, no matter what, no matter if you want to take them back, they're out there. So I think that, I really, I do, I think that social media does a disservice to our children. um, Because that's not who they are. That's not who they're going to be, and I know me growing up, all I could do is say it to my friends. And so it went in my ear to theirs and it was never out there for the whole world to see. And I'm thankful for that. And I know people my age are extremely thankful for that. Um, Trayvon's dad once said that he benched him because his school, his schoolwork began to suffer. So these were parents that were, they were holding their son accountable. Um, even though he was one of the best ones on the team, if you can't get your schoolwork right, then you'll sit out. I don't care if you are my kid, you'll sit out. Um, Trayvon, he loved, um, video games, cars, he loved snacks. Um, he was a normal teenager, okay? He, he, he was normal. He was doing things that, you know, most teenagers do. Um, his friends said that it could be 100 degrees out and Trayvon would still have that hoodie on. So he was known for, by teachers, by his parents, by his friends, for always having a hoodie on with the hood up. Um, and I know it's weird to those of you who don't have teenagers or are not around them. It seems like why. And I hate that, that the hoodie has kind of represented like you're up to no good. Because, you know, my kid and all his friends, wear, they wear hoodies with the hood up all the time. I personally think that it has something to do with like maybe the insecurity. And it's kind of like they can cover, they can, you know, keep keep it you know, keep themselves hidden, you know, I, I know that the acne and the, the messed up haircuts, whatever, that kind of, that's the kind of security blanket, 
Um, I think that's for Trayvon, he was simply walking in the rain and that's why he had one on. <laughs> that's simple. Um, uh, but, you know, but it, it's become kind of like a symbol of, oh goodness. And I think that's, that is, that's horrible. Um, while in high school, he attended um, an aviation school in the afternoon. So in the beginning, in the half a day, he went to regular school. And then the other half, he went to an aviation school. I mean, that's huge. That's amazing. That is really, you know, that's some dedication. That is, uh, he really had a love for, you know, aviation. His teachers called him normal. He was a well-behaved teenager. He was normal. There was never, ever any reported disrespect he was passing all of his classes. Uh, his mother in 11th grade felt like that he could do better. And she felt like there was a school that he could do better at. And so she transferred him to this other school. Once she, once he got, once he transferred to this other school, his behavior did start to change. Um, his grades started to slip. He started to get in trouble. He had never been suspended before until he got to the school. Um, I think that 11th grade is a tough, a tough grade to be uprooted from your family and your friends um, and move to and where now where you're the new kid I think and not at all is that saying that she shouldn't have done what she felt was right for her son because she should have you know if you feel like your son has more potential you should you should move him but I think that it's important that that you ensure that he is he is socially and emotionally um fitting in and feeling comfortable because acting out is a clear clear um call for I'm not comfortable I'm not you know I'm not um I'm not fitting in here you know something's wrong um and I think that it's important that we understand that kids need that just as much as they need education they need to be feel socially and emotionally accepted as well as education. Now, as I said before, that that is not a not to her decision at all. I mean, you have to do what you feel is best. Um, so at the new school, he he got suspended for uh, writing WTAF on the door. Um, and when the school officer came to search his bag, he had he had women's jewelry in it, and. They, they never charged him with anything, and no one ever said that it was stolen. Trayvon said he got it for a friend, and he was going to give it to his girlfriend. Um, he was never charged with any kind of crime, um, but she knew he was moving towards some bad stuff. She knew he was he was kind of, she could see it in her son, and she wanted to try and, and help him through it and help him, you know, be the best that he could be, and that's understandable. Um, I feel like social media is... <laughs> the devil and I think that I feel like anyone under 21 probably shouldn't be allowed on social media because you put so much of who you are in that moment on social media and that doesn't go anywhere and it kind of bites you in the butt later on um I'm thankful that there was no social media when I was growing up you know none while I was in college or in high school so you know the things that I said or did were not captured for the entire world to see later on had I wanted to do something, you know, in the public eye. Um, so I think that it does a disservice to our children. Um, on social media, his name was Slim. 
he cursed, he talked about sex, um, he talked about girls, he cracked jokes, um, he tweeted often about rap music and his dislike for school and the faculty at the school. That does not sound out of the ordinary to me. Um, and if you think hard about the things that you said to your friends when you were younger, depending on how old you are, um, if you think back to the things that you actually said to your friends, they're probably close to the things that he actually tweeted that was now out there for for the the the, def- the defense to pull and now say, well, look at this kid. He was a horrible kid, you know. No wonder he started a fight with this man. Um, so I think that... That's why I believe that kids shouldn't be on social media because it's not necessarily who you are. I mean, all boys try to act tough. All boys have to, you know, put that out there like, I'm tough, I'm tough. And they may say things to to make it feel like they're tough. And that could be, that could, that could be furthest away from who they are. Um, during this, during the trial, in, in the pre-trial, he, his accounts were hacked by a white supremacist group. And they've pulled the his tweets and his emails um, to make him seem like a racist thug where only certain things were pulled um, and a lot of other things weren't talked about, weren't pulled. And so when the judge went and looked, he said, absolutely not. Like this, you know, we didn't, you you didn't hear about how, how much he talked about his ACT scores or SAT scores, excuse me, about scholarships, about birthdays, about how his mother brought him a birthday cake. and so, and that's another thing, like, when when things happen to our young people, it's, it's easy to go and dig and find a small, and, and it's still, you know, like I said, people don't know who you are unless they, unless they know you. And so when I run into you in the street, and if we have an altercation, that you don't know me you still don't know who I am you don't know that I wrote a tweet bashing the faculty of school or talked about weed or sex or girls you have no idea that that's who I am you only can see who who I am portraying to you right in front of me um so on February 26 2012 um Trayvon Martin he weighed 158 pounds he was five feet 11 inches tall he was at his dad's house um his mom sent him there to rethink his priorities. She wanted him to get his head on straight, hoping dad could kind of shake some sense into him. And I know that I've had several friends who are like, I'm going to my dad's house, I'm in trouble. I mean, even me, my mother would call my dad and say, you know, come get him. You know, yeah. So that's normal to me as well. Um, so Trayvon was at the house. He was watching TV, playing video games. His dad and his dad's fiance, they were out having dinner. Trayvon decided that he wanted to walk to the local 7-Eleven, um, which is normal as well. I, I know when my son goes to spend a night at his friend's house, he'll call me or I'll call him and he and we went to the local store. And it, it's nothing. We literally don't think about it. And so while I was reading into this, I mean, you think your son is like, I'm running to the store. I'll be right back. And he never comes back. I mean, that's scary. Um, so at the store, he bought a pack of Skittles and an Arizona Arizona watermelon drink, which we all know was widely talked about what he had on him. So he, he bought those two things. While Trayvon was on his way back from the store, it did begin to rain. So he kind of cut through some neighborhoods trying to get home. Um, he put his hood up while it was raining. Um, 
And this is when the 28-year-old neighborhood watchman, uh, George Zimmerman, Zimmerman was 185 pounds and 5 feet 7 inches tall. So he was a bit bigger than Trayvon, but he was much shorter. Um, he spotted him and he said that he looked he looked um, out of place. <laughs> he looked out of place. Um, and he immediately called 911. Now Zimmerman, um, he was a retired magistrate and he was currently working... Um, as a fraud investigator. He had worked towards his associate's degree in criminal justice, so he was an aspiring uh, law enforcement anything. Like, he wanted to get into law. He wanted to uh, be a judge. Ultimately, he wanted to become a judge. So he was, I think, a lot of time, and we've seen this with this this latest gentleman who, um, who shot the two Black Lives Matter protesters. He was aspiring to be get into criminal justice i think that in their mind this is the way they can kill these kill these black people if i become a a police officer if i get into law enforcement i think that has to change like that's not what law enforcement does and that's not your job will not be to hunt down and kill um if you become a, a law enforcement officer and that's for blacks or you know blacks or whites that's not going to be the job that's not the job description working in the law enforcement, you know, working for, working in law enforcement. Um, I, so I'm sorry. Um, so George Zimmerman, he called 911 immediately. He, he told the 911 operator that Trayvon had not committed a crime, but he was just looking very, very suspicious. And I think that is the problem. Like you see a, a young black boy with a hood on, he's all, he's automatically suspicious. It doesn't matter if he's doing anything or not. So if, if he was not committing a crime and he was walking, I wonder what made him so suspicious. It was just who he was. It, ha- it was just who he was. He said that it was raining and he wasn't running to get out of the rain. Well, I mean, that doesn't really surprise me. He had a hoodie on and he was actually on the phone. So he's taking his time and walking home. I mean, if you think in Miami, rain, I mean, it may be a little chilly, but it's not it's not 30 degrees outside, so there's no need to really... He's got his little hoodie on. There's no need to to run home. Um, so, Trayvon was killed at 12 Lakes. This is an apartment complex in Florida. Um, at 12 Lakes, in between January of 2011 and February of 2012, the police were called a total of 402 times. Uh, there were tons of break-ins. There were burglaries. You know, just kind of petty petty crimes that, that went around. Um, between 2004 and 2012, Zimmerman himself called the police more than 50 times to report local disturbances. He, did, he reported uh, open garage doors, uh, loud parties, potholes. He reported children playing in the street. Um, he took this neighborhood watch job to the, to the extreme. Um, I think that someone should have explained to him exactly what he you just watch you just watch and report and if and even if to me if if Trayvon has started to break into someone's car it's still not it's not for you to approach him it's not for you to to fight that battle um three weeks prior to him running into Trayvon uh Zimmerman called the police several times for suspicious activities um, all those times, he reported that everybody was black. 
so I think that he had a bias towards blacks. I mean, if if you look out your window and every and, and 50 crimes have been committed, and every single crime that you see, um, you've reported that it was a black person. So that 51st person that you see that may be walking, not doing anything, you've automatically you've automatically um, assumed that he's doing something he has no business. Um, Zimmerman was also licensed to carry a firearm. So at about 7.09, Zimmerman, that's when he called the non-emergency line, reported a young black male who seemed suspicious. He told the operator, this guy looks like he's up to no good. Like he's on drugs or something. It's raining, he's not running, he's he's just casually walking. Um, and he also said that these assholes, they always get away. Um, to me, that's in my mind when he decided that he was going to make sure this time this asshole didn't get away. Like he was going to try it. Um, even though Trayvon wasn't doing anything. Uh, about two minutes into this call, Zimmerman yells, he's running. The operator says, wait, he's running. Which way is he running? Like, well, we'll dispatch somebody out there. Uh, Zimmerman told the operator that he was following Trayvon. The operator told him, we do not need you to do that. Like, you need to sit down somewhere. Um, Zimmerman replied, okay. And asked that the police be dispatched to his location. Um, this call was ended at 7.15. So, if he dialed, if he dialed 911 at 7.09... They didn't end until 7.15. You think about in between that time. Trayvon can see this person in his car watching him. And it's weird. Um, while, Trayvon was, while Trayvon was being chased, he was on the phone. Um, he was on the phone with a friend uh, during the altercation. And she said she wasn't, she wasn't sure who started the physical part of the fight. But she knows that Trayvon told her that a man was watching him from his car. Uh, she told Trayvon to run. As he was scared, he was like, I don't know what's going on. It's dark. I don't know what's going on. Um, and that makes sense to me. Like, run. Get out of there. What are you doing? Go. Leave. I can't imagine him um, thinking about breaking into someone's house while on the phone. Even if he was walking through looking at people's windows. It, it, it's, still, it's, it's still not a crime. And no, no one from any of those apartments complained about him walking. So nobody else called the police saying there's a suspicious person walking through and looking in homes um she heard Trayvon asking why are you following me and she said she heard Zimmerman say what are you doing around here then she heard Trayvon yell get off get off and the phone went dead she yelled for Trayvon no response she also tried to call him back um but during that time Trayvon did describe Zimmerman as crazy and creepy um she also said that at one time he called him a crazy ass cracker which makes sense for an 18-year-old, 17-year-old that's being chased down by a white guy from what he sees. Yes, what are you doing? Like, leave me alone. It's the language of the children. Um, so at 7.15, the call ended. Um, at 7.17, the police arrived. Trayvon was already shot. He was face down, and George Zimmerman was standing on top of him. Um, Trayvon was pronounced dead at 7.30 because when the police officers got there, they tried to work on him. Um, Zimmerman was taken into custody um, where he did look beat up. He looked pretty beat up, but that's kind of... I mean, look, if you approach a young whippersnapper, 
<laughs> I mean, you know, you're older than him. He's lighter on his feet and probably much stronger. Um, you may be the neighborhood watch, but you're not the police. So as far as he's concerned, you are just a random man walking up to him. We knew you were following him. You never said he came your way until after he was, he never said it on the 911 call, but afterwards he, he changed his story and said that Trayvon circled his car and he rolled up his window because he didn't want any trouble. Um, and when he got out, he wasn't necessarily following Trayvon. He was just going in the same direction. But if you were so afraid and didn't want any trouble, what would make you get out your car? with your gun and you weren't by your house so you should have went home or stayed in your car and waited for the police to get there um after five hours of him being questioned he was released the police chief said that Zimmerman had the right to defend himself um he wasn't tested for any alcohol or drugs um which is standard uh you'll only be tested if you have like a history of like drunk driving or drugs then they test you um, to me, it feels like at any point that you kill a person, you should be drug tested. I mean, you should, I mean, you just take a person's word and they say they haven't been drinking because alcohol plays a, a big factor in how you behave like that. Um, he was just taking on his word. Um, so on February 28th, Trayvon's Martin, Trayvon's father, excuse me, filed a missing persons report, um, cause he couldn't. He didn't come home. He didn't know. Trayvon didn't have any ID, so they took him in as a John Doe. Um, when he described his son, then they came and, you know, let him know that Trayvon was, in fact, dead. Um, on March 12th, this case was turned over to the state attorney for review. Um, they said Zimmerman stated that he was, uh, he, this was self-defense. And nothing could really dispute this claim from what they said, nothing can really dispute this claim. So he, he he couldn't be charged because they didn't have anything to charge him with. So on March 13th, they asked for negligent homicide charges to be filed against Zimmerman. So negligent homicide charges are, um, the killing of another person through gross negligence or without malice. This is often the case of like, if you're operating a vehicle, a boat or snowmobile and you kill someone. So it's like, you didn't come out to murder them, but you were negligent in what you were doing and it, it resulted in someone else's murder or someone else's death. So on March 20, 20th, they opened the investigation back up. Nothing became of this. They just couldn't figure, they couldn't find, you know, anything that said that he should be arrested for this. So they couldn't find anything about it, whatever. Trayvon's autopsy showed no other injuries to him. Just he had a single gunshot wound. They said he had a small scratch on his finger. But other than that, he wasn't beat up in any way. Um, He wasn't wasn't hurt or harmed, just the one shot. Um, He did have THC found in his system. And the doctor said that that it didn't play a role in his behavior or how he acted. Because it had been days old. It was just kind of residual in his system. Um... As I said before, he was on the phone with a friend. So she heard a lot of what was going on. She, they, their, their, uh, their phone call disconnected right when George Zimmerman approached him. And so, like I said, it's hard to believe that he would be up to no good on the phone with a girl. Clearly he was just probably spitting some type of game to her. 
and or whatever, you know, um, and not focus on that and kind of notice and just taking his time, getting back to the house. He don't want to be talking to this, this girl in front of his brother and notice that this crazy guy is following him. Um, so Zimmerman says that he saw Trayvon, he called the police. He thought it was suspicious seeing someone in the neighborhood that he didn't recognize. So I guess everybody who moved in, everybody who had company he knew about, um, neither here nor there. Um, he said at one point that Trayvon, as I said before, he circled his car, he rolled up the windows to avoid any confrontation, although that wasn't heard on the 911 call that wasn't heard by Trayvon's friend that was on the phone and the police arrived at 717 and Trayvon was already dead and the phone call from 911 didn't end until 715 so I'm in two minutes he circled the car you rolled up the window didn't want to get out so it, it that part makes no sense to me um he said after he got out of his car he walked up to Trayvon and Trayvon just punched him in the face and he said Trayvon saw his gun and they started fighting over his gun and he said Trayvon he said Trayvon Martin said you're gonna die tonight he said they struggled over the gun and then eventually he shot him Zimmerman said that he uh when he got out of his truck as I said before he said he wasn't following them they were just walking in the same direction I'm not even sure I, I don't know why he thinks that anybody's buying that like you got out the car because you were you had this gun. You were feeling like the big man, and you wanted to see what was going on. That only makes sense. Um, in other nine one one calls, they can hear people, somebody yelling for help. Um, Zimmerman's family said it was him. Trayvon Martin's family said it was him. So there's really no, um, there's no. Uh, you know, definite answer on who that was screaming for help. I don't think it matters at that point. They're already tussling. So it doesn't matter who was screaming for help. Um, it, it, it probably, I mean, it could be Trayvon Martin because he saw the gun. And it could be George Zimmerman because he was getting his ass whooped. So it could be either way. And I don't think that matters. It doesn't matter that in, in the grand scheme of things, when you think that at the end of the day, somebody was murdered. And and he was he he constantly walked towards his destination he was walking towards his destination never walking back never um he was never seen going into someone's apartment or trying to go into someone's apartment he was constantly walking towards his destination minding his own business that is the big issue for me i think as i think And, you know, I live in a neighborhood and I can look out my window and see somebody being suspicious. That doesn't give me the right. I'm not a law enforcement officer. That doesn't give me the right to come out of my home or approach that person or follow that person. And then when I do approach them and ask them, what you doing here? For me not to get some type of attitude. Like, you can't walk towards the fight and then when you get beat up, say, help me, help me, or I'm standing my ground. Absolutely not. Brings me to his defense. He claimed that he was he he, he used this the stand your ground law. Um, this law says that people may use deadly force when they're when they reasonably believe it to be necessary to defend against a threat, serious bodily harm, kidnapping, rape, robbery, or any other types of serious crimes. And people have no duty to try to retreat, um, which is crazy to me. <laughs> I think that um, so they don't have to tr- retreat before deadly force is is used, which is it's. Crazy. Crazy, like 
So if I'm standing here and you try to attack me, I have no obligation to try. I mean, and you're not physically attracting, um, attacking me yet. I have no obligation to still try to defuse the situation before I kill you. I don't know. I could be wrong. Let me know if you think it should be otherwise. Um, and this law, the big thing is that this law cannot be used by someone who is the aggressor. So if you follow, if if I'm following you, if I, if I approach you and I start getting my ass beat, I can't then say, all right, I'm standing my ground because you, you, you came for the fight. Um, he was, Zimmerman was found to be lying about his, when he wanted bail, he lied and said he didn't have any money. The judge and the, the prosecutor found out that he lied about his money situations, um, uh, so his bond was revoked. Uh, seven months after Trayvon's death, a bill was called for to revise the stand your ground laws. Nothing happened. Nothing became of it. Um, so on June 10th, 2013, he went to trial. Trayvon was killed in February, June 10th. I think this is the big thing that we, I think this is the reason why blacks aren't marching, um, is things like this where you know a a kid was killed in february and it took until june for anybody to be convinced that it was wrong for a grown man to follow him and get out of his car and kill him um on june 13th 2013 the jury found him not guilty um and then his his family, of course, tried to file a civil suit and they tried to um, take him to trial for a, a federal hate crime. Uh, and the prosecution said, the de- I'm sorry, the Department of Justice said that there was just not enough uh, evidence to support that it was an actual hate crime. Um, a month after he was got off, um, he was pictured touring a, the gun fact, like the, the a gun factory. And this was the... The, the 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 same gun that was used to kill Trayvon. So he went to let's say it was Smith and Wesson. He was at a Smith and Wesson uh, factory. Um, touring. <laughs> um, in 2013, George George Zimmerman's uh, now ex-wife called 911 to report that he had assaulted her father and was threatening her with a gun. There were no charges filed there. In November of the same year, he was charged with a felony for aggravated assault after he pointed a gun, a shotgun, at his girlfriend. This case was eventually also dropped. Um, in December of 2019, Zimmerman filed a lawsuit against Trayvon, oh, against Trayvon's family. Uh, he, it was a civil suit for $100 million in damages uh, for defamation. <laughs> I mean... And, and Trayvon's mother said this. She, the, What upset her so badly, what upset her spirit so badly is that he did this and he didn't feel bad about it. He didn't feel any... He didn't feel bad about what he had done to her son. And I think that the fact that when he got his gun back, he auctioned it off. And while he said that uh, it was his gun and as a gun owner, he had every right to auction it off. Absolutely. But it just says a lot about how you felt about the crime or how you felt about what you did, if you felt bad or not. The fact that you felt like, I'm going to auction off this gun. You know, you kind of got famous for that. Even even after having so... I mean, how many strikes does he need before he's actually taken serious as a dangerous human being? Like, how many? How much more needs to be done? Um, 
Trayvon's mother, she recently qualified to run for Miami-Dade County Commissioner, which she won. She spends a lot of time advocating for stricter gun laws. Um, <laughs> this case was, so this case reminded me a lot of the Breonna Taylor case. Um, because I believe that both situations started off rather morally wrong. They were legally they were legally okay. Like, legally, they were following the rules. And a lot of what happened after is what shaped how we feel about these people. So, while it was not illegal for George Zimmerman to follow Trayvon, it wasn't. It wasn't illegal for him to, to watch him. That wasn't illegal. And it also wasn't illegal for you, if you approach this guy, this boy, and you asking him what he's doing here, and you've been following him, it's also not illegal for him to be feel scared and then feel like he has to defend himself. Um, so afterwards, like I've seen pictures of George Zimmerman signing a pack of Skittles, um, and that is a lot of what's done after is the problem. And it was the same way with the police officers in Breonna Taylor what's done after kind of shows who you really are even if you started off legally legally right morally wrong I keep saying that um how you how you behave afterwards says a a ton about who you are and and how you really felt about the person that you did this you know that you committed this horrible crime against um I can't confirm and I tried to confirm that that was actually him uh, signing skittles man you know <laughs> that's terrible you know that I think that sh- it's a slap in the face to the Martin family uh, it's a slap in the face to to um, to parents with black children it is it's a slap in the face it's like look at what, look what I did I didn't get punished for it and now I am kind of laughing in your face kind of you know if 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 something happened to my son like that, thank, I mean, I don't want to think about it and thank God that he's still here, but I'm going to pick apart every single thing you did to find out what happened with my child. So I don't, it's not unfair. Like everything is up for, everything is up. Just like they talked about uh, Trayvon Martin's uh, social media platforms and his email accounts and what he did in school. I think the same is true for you. The same is true for you, George Zimmerman. So people can discuss your history and the things that you did so to say defamation I don't think that is 